you are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey everybody, uh, welcome. Welcome, great to see you today. My name is Morgan, the lead pastor here. If you're new, just a quick announcement before we get going. Next week, we're going to have a very special guest. Jim Lathun is going to be here next week. And many of you know Jim. Yeah, Jim uh, is a senior leader in the Every Nation family of churches. We're a part of that, that global family of, of churches. And so Jim comes here every year to minister and encourage us. And Jim, if you're not familiar with him, has one of the best, really strongest giftings, prophetic giftings you'll ever see. And and so we're going to have a special night of ministry this Saturday at 6 p.m. from 6 to 8. We'll worship some. Jim will preach a little and spend the majority of our time seeing Jim minister and pray and prophetically minister to people. It's always so powerful, so encouraging to see the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this way. And so if you've never been to a meeting like this, let me encourage you, you should be here. Uh, Child care is available if you register. Uh, he will also be here for all four services next Sunday as well. So it's going to be a great, great weekend. Love to have you back. But as you can see, we are in a, sort of the tail end of this series called When Richie Met Gracie. And it's all about what happens when our stuff, uh, when our resources, when our money, when our riches meet the grace of God. Uh, and if you're just joining us today or you're here for the first time or if you haven't been here in a while, uh, you may be like, you know, I can't believe it. It's like the law of reruns, you know, like you see that one episode of that one show and like they talk about that one thing in church, it's money. And so you're like, man, they're talking about money. But the reason we're talking about this is not because I want anything from you today. You're going to hear that about five times, but it's because the Bible talks about money a lot. And actually Jesus of Nazareth talks about money a lot. He actually talked about money more than he talked about, say something like heaven, which is amazing actually. So at least at least every once in a while, it seems we ought to talk about money as well. All right. Didn't get an amen. That's okay. That's my logic. You're cool. As we've gone through this, though, the first couple of weeks, let me just say, it's been really fascinating, really interesting to see the range of responses that I've gotten in response to this. And I think it's just because when you talk about money, there's just always going to be a wide range of responses and feelings based on, you know, where your financial situation is and probably even more than that, how you feel I did. In talking about money and your specific situation or what you're thinking. But as I've talked to some of you, talked to some of our staff, there are a lot of issues that have come up, a lot of thoughts that have come up, because the Bible's just got a lot to say in this. There are many, many, many facets of biblical teaching on the issue of money. And yes, it speaks to big, big, big picture financial issues and problems, but it also speaks to your individual, personal financial situation and world. And so I think that if anything I could do in this series, if I could maybe help you with that, if I could help you just a smidge, as they say, with something for your life today, I think your life would be better and you might even be glad you came. And so today, regardless of why you're here, or who drug you here, if somebody just you know, promised you a date afterward, you know, or what you think about this topic, I want to try to do something a little different. So today is going to be different. Can you say the word different? Different. Yes. Thank you, Pastor Alvin, with confidence. That's just, you never lack that. Uh, <laughs> amen. So as I tr- I'm going to try to teach through a couple of short passages here from the Bible. And as I do that, I'm going to try to give you a plan 
today, a plan today that is, I want to try to give you a different way of thinking about your entire financial picture. A different way of thinking about your entire financial picture. So I'm just going to hop right into it. Again, if you're a regular here, you know that this is going to feel different. So again, I ask you to say this with me. Different is good. Different is good. Thank you. Some of you are still resisting me. It's okay. I hope to break you through before we get here. Different is good. I think you'll see what I mean as I go. All right. There are essentially, I think, five things a person can do with their money. Here they are. Five things you can do with your money, especially in the U.S. Someone can. Maybe you can. Number one, spend it. Uh-oh, yeah. You can repay debt, depending on how you've spent or misspent your money. Three, you can pay taxes. Four, you can save your money. Five, you can give your money. Again, these are the basically, these are basically the five things we can do with money in our culture. And because we, like other peoples, are shaped by our culture, like they're shaped by theirs, this ends up being our actual order of priority. Now, because this tends to be our list of priorities, let's take a look at it like this. I want to kind of try to reframe it. Priority number one, spend. Yeah. Number two, pay for things that, for whatever reason, good or bad, I couldn't afford. Number three, pay the government. Some of you are saying, boo, you know, hiss. Number four, save some if there's left over. And five, if by there, you know, some miracle there is some left, we give. Let me tell you, this is what Americans do. This tends to be our level of priority, but don't get nervous. I'm not about to try to tell you how to spend your money. I'm not going to tell you what to buy it on or critique any of that or how you pay for it. I just want to try to call your attention to the big picture overall so that maybe you'll think differently about the big picture overall. So let me go through this list one final time and put one final spin and framework on it. Number one, here's how our list tends to be in the U.S. Number one, our priorities are number one is me. Number two, me. Number three, America. Number four, me. And number five, God and others. Now, again, for most people, these are our priorities. But the problem with this from a Christian perspective, and even if you're not a Christian, and you're just coming in here and you're sort of an outsider eavesdropping into this conversation today, the problem with this is that this system puts God and others essentially last, which means God and others get the leftovers if we don't spend it all, if we don't owe it all, if the government doesn't take it all, and if we don't save it all for ourselves. If there is any leftover, God and others get, God and the community gets, God and the poor get, not our fresh-baked best, but our leftovers. Now, in spite of the fact that many of us, maybe most of us, at least some of us, prioritize our money in this way, that does not keep us from, nor does it cause any hesitation on our part when we get in trouble or when we're underwater financially to go to God and say, God, won't you please help me? God, I need to sell this house. You know, especially at a profit, by the way. Uh, I need this job. I need a scholarship. I need to help get my kids through college. God, help me. Help me. God, help me take care of, let's see in order, me, me, America, me, and oh yeah, you and others. If there's any leftover. Because again, we have this habit in our nation. When it comes to the prioritization of our finances, that leaves very little room for God. And this is true if people have a lot or a little. It's all the same. Think about this. Try to follow me. A credit card company forces us to have a system. 
of tracking. The government forces us to have a system. Our employer, most of us, forces us to have some kind of system of handling finances. But we think when it comes to God, there's no system needed. There's no plan or priority needed. There's this whole random leftover, whatever I've got, a leftover, I'll give you God. And will you please help me, by the way? That approach is where many of us are. And I don't want us to stay there because I think, I believe, I know that God has something better, not for Morgan, not for Mosaic necessarily, but better for you, better for you. So with all that in mind, let me try to give you the big idea for today. And this is not going to be flashy. You're going to see it and be like, that's it. Uh, It's not flashy, but it will be super helpful. It's not flashy, but it is practical. And here's the big idea today. That the way you prioritize your personal finances represents either an open door to your heavenly father or a closed door. Say it again. The way you prioritize, that's the word, your personal finances represents either an open door to your heavenly father or a closed one. So I want to try to persuade you as best I can that you should open the door, if you haven't already, to your heavenly father with your finances. And here's why. Here's why. Over the years, I've preached or taught on this at some point, there is almost like this predictable pattern that emerges that I get to see through responses of emails and stories and letters and testimonies on the back end. And here's how that response goes almost every time. There are four things that happen. Uh, I'll get to those. But basically, the response is this. Individual or couples, individuals like you. Couples like you all, you start off being likely grouchy about what you're hearing today. Like, I came for this, you know. But once they tune out the skepticism, because they think I want something from them, which I don't, or they tune off the, the skepticism because they heard something on that TV show with that weird evangelist or whatever at one time, and they did what you're about to hear, they say four things happen. Number one, they decided that they were going to do what you're about to hear. Number two, they realized that it didn't make sense on paper to do what you're about to hear. Three, all of them decided it doesn't matter. We're so upside down financially, or we just want to try to honor God. We might as well try something different. And they did. And number four, every time that someone did what you're about to hear today, people go into detail about what they see as God's divine intervention in their personal financial world as they began to reprioritize and think about money differently. Basically, what I'm saying is this. If you don't trust me, because you think I want something from you, trust a whole bunch of people who have done this and found peace and freedom and breakthrough because they have opened the door to their heavenly father in this area. So let's just ask, well, where now, where is God in all of this? Where does God come in? How does he speak to this way of prioritization that we saw a moment ago? Well, surprisingly, we're going to see that once upon a time when his people were living in this kind of way, with this kind of priority list for themselves, God himself wandered in. God himself inserted himself into the conversation. And of all things, we're going to see he made them a promise. So what was that promise? Well, to see that, we're going to turn to, of all places, and don't get nervous, Malachi chapter 3. Yeah, and if you hear the rumble in the crowd, it's because you're familiar with this passage. And you may know that it's been used over the years to do a lot of stuff, including a lot of shaming of God's people. 
at the hands of insecure leaders trying to get something from you, but I'm not trying to get something from you. And part of that is, and the reason for that, the result of that, I should say, is that I've never actually taught through this passage. So I'm just afraid I'm going to get lumped in with everybody else. But you should know, it's not my heart to do that to you at all. This is still, Malachi is still God's word to God's people in some kind of way. And so what I want to focus on, hear me, is the connection between the priorities of the people of Israel when this was written to them, roughly 400 BC, the connection between their priorities and the promise that God made them and then try to apply that connection to all of us. Here we go. We'll begin in Malachi 3, verse 6. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, the prophet Malachi, and he says, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Super encouraging, I know. All right. Now, we didn't read this a few verses before, but the context of this, what God means when he says, I, the Lord, do not change, he's specifically meaning that his love for his people doesn't change. He's saying here, oh my people, he says this right before this, I love you, I love you no matter what, even though you, in this case, the nation of Israel, have broken my laws, even though you have forsaken my covenant, I still love you, I haven't changed, I, the Lord, don't change, my love doesn't change, and that's why you're still around, frankly. So God goes on then, speaking through the prophet, verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees, you haven't kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, again speaking to Israel, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not not be enough room to store. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. All right. Back in chapter one, the same book of Malachi, God had brought up something to which he's adding on to right here in chapter three. Back in chapter one, he said this. He says, you are bringing all of your leftovers to me. Your leftovers. Because back then they had an animal-based sacrificial system. And God had said to them, in essence, you are bringing me sheep that you wouldn't even eat. Sheep you wouldn't give to your guests. You know, they're like your messed up sheep. You're, you know, got caught in the gate kind of goats or the lame animals you left for dead. Now you're presenting your roadkill to me. You wouldn't do that to your friend. Why would you do that to your God? God's saying, you're bringing me the leftovers of your financial world. You're not honoring me with what's clearly most important to you, which is your financial life. And because you're doing that, you're telling me exactly where you think I fit into your life, which I gave you, by the way, God would say. Of course, God's saying, I love you no matter what. I, the Lord, don't change. My love for you doesn't change. But come on, what kind of a relationship is that? So God says in the middle of all of this, return to me and I will return to you. Now, this didn't mean that God wasn't present or that he didn't know what was going on. You know, he'd moved to like Hawaii or the South Pole or something. But in some kind of relational way, God's saying to the nation, I would love to move in your direction, 
in the area of your finances, but in this case, I'm waiting for you to move toward me first. Now, this principle of moving toward God and then having him move toward you, this is not just some Old Testament works-based bit. The book of James, New Testament, come on, says the same thing. When James, the brother of Jesus, I might add, James says, draw near to God, and what? He'll draw near to you. Return to me, I'll return to you. Draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Why? Because it's the same God. He, the Lord, doesn't change. His love doesn't change. Return to me, God says, I'll return to you. Okay, God, they would say, how are we supposed to do that? What does that look like? So we like read the Torah more. We like go to temple more. God goes on. He asks a rhetorical question. Will a mere mortal, because that's you, by the way, rob God? Yet you, you all, plural, are robbing me. Now, that seems strange. How could a person possibly rob God, omnipotent divine being? But God says this, in tithes and offerings. Let me explain this quickly, what the tithe meant in the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible. A tithe is 10%. And Jewish people in that time, again, 400 BC roughly, they would have had to give a double tithe, plus a little on top. All right, let me get to the, the main part. They had to give on a monthly basis or whenever they got their income or they got paid, 10% off the top to care for the temple, to care for the priests, and a little bit of that would go towards the poor in the community. And then they had the second tithe, the second 10%, where they were to save up that extra 10%, give it again to the temple, and then once a year, Israel would throw a national party, celebrate God. Yeah, big deal. And then if that wasn't complicated enough, every third year... The second 10% was distributed exclusively to the poor in the community. So you gave an ongoing 10%, if you were an Israelite, to the temple, and another 10% for either the big party or the poor. The point is, when God says, you are robbing me of your tithes, that's why the word is plural. Now, of course, you could think again, how could someone rob God? Was he like asleep at the bank counter? He like somebody hold him up. He held his hands up, you know, like a big stick him up and they lay on the floor and the big bank robber scene. No, no. So if Israel couldn't, can't rob God of money, what were they robbing him of? Now, I don't think it was as much money as it was. Here's the word opportunity opportunity. He's saying, you've been robbing me because I love you. I don't change. My love hasn't changed. Robbing me of the opportunity to take care of you like I promised to. Because Israel had a special deal, a covenant with God. If they obeyed him in certain ways, he promised to bless them in certain ways, including financially. And God here is simply saying, you have shut the door on my financial blessing in your life. You're robbing me, not of money, because it's all mine anyway, but you are robbing me of the opportunity to bless you like I hoped, like I dreamed, because I love you, I, the Lord, don't change. The door, he's saying, to your financial world is locked and barred from the inside. So God's saying here, move in my direction. Just unlock that door. I love you. So quit robbing me of the opportunity to be involved in your financial life because I know you need it, by the way. Oh, but when we hear this, we hear this, we think, that is hard. That is hard. It's hard to give. And to that, I think God would say, I know. I know it is. I know it's hard for people to give. I know the whole humans and money thing is real tricky and complicated. It's real hard. And that's why he says this Next, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see 
If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, not take anything away, that there will be not enough room to store it. God's saying here, it's beautiful. Like, test me, try me. He's saying like, I dare you. I double dog, I double sheep, I double camel, I double goat, or whatever else they had about them. Double did dog dare you back, you know, to dare me first and then watch what I'll do. That's his promise. Now, now, this is a promise to the nation of Israel. Not to the United States of America. It's not a direct promise to you or me, but it reflects a principle that you see throughout Scripture about any area of our life, where we put God first, especially when it's hard, especially when it costs us. God says, in any area that's hard, move toward me and watch what I do. He said, I respect your choices. I respect your will at a very real level. You get a choice here. I'm not going to force you because I love you, but if you trust me, I have something great for you. And listen, some of you, you know this, you've experienced this in other areas. Maybe in your marriage uh, or in a, your dating relationship or your job where maybe you've done it for you know, your way for years and your way and your way. It hasn't worked or it's not working. And some of you, you've thrown up your hands and you've said, God, help. I'm quitting me first. I'm putting you first. And you've seen something at least move or grow or change or be different. Why? It's because that's who our God is. He's the God who says, if you just trust me, watch what I'll do. Return to me because you used to be there once. Return to me because I'm so good. Return to me because I love you and I don't change. And I will return to you. And to do that, to make that shift for many of us requires, I think, here's a word, a plan. A plan. So my question is, what then, in light of all of this, in light of God's goodness and love and faithfulness, what would a new plan look like? New priorities. Well, I think a plan would look like this. A new plan for the Christian would be centered around our new covenant in Jesus. It would have at the center of it one key idea, one core concept. And that key idea and core concept, I think we can see in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount. That is the manifesto of the kingdom of God. The manifesto for the way the people of Jesus ought to live. And here, we're going to look at it in Matthew 6. In the middle and right in the context of a conversation specifically about money and stuff and resources, Jesus Christ says this. And I want you to listen for the distinct echoes of the prophet Malachi 400 years later. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Jesus is saying, listen, you are so worried about you that you put you at the top of the list. I'm at the bottom. He said, well, listen, but the pagans, he goes on to say, the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Oh, don't you love this? He's saying, listen, people who don't even believe in me have the kind of list where they go number one with themselves at the top. And he's saying, God knows you need stuff. He knows you need a car and a place to live and clothes to wear and food to eat. You need an education and all that stuff. Your heavenly father knows you need them, he says. Listen, this isn't about getting anything from you. This isn't about taking anything from you. This is first and foremost all about the quality of relationship you have with your heavenly father. And so right here, Jesus Christ is about to make a promise to you and to me. And it's almost, almost the same promise God made through Malachi to Israel. But this promise is even better because this is the promise of Jesus Christ, the son of God to you and me. He says, seek what? What's the word? 
first. Thank you. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be taken away from you, stripped from you, eradicated from your life. No, what? Given to you. So what's the plan for the Christian? Jesus is saying this, flip your list, invert the order, flip your list of priorities. And when you do that, you fling open the door for your heavenly father to care for you. He says literally to give these things to you. But let me tell you, listen, in case you're wondering, this is not about how to get rich. Not a prosperity word. No, this is the good news is though, because the good news is that most of us, though not all of us, but many of us certainly are already rich. We're already rich because we live indoors for the most part. We aren't worried about if we're going to eat after church today, right? We're all, some of you are thinking about that right now. Back to the sermon though. Thank you. We're already rich, though, compared to many, if not most people in the world. So this isn't about getting rich. This is about, this is the word, reprioritizing in light of God's love, in the sense of peace that comes, which it will, when you know that God has come into this area of your life because you have thrown open the door to your heavenly Father. So here's what you do. Here's the Matthew 6 plan based on the Matthew 6 promise. Here's our list. You just flip it. Number one. You give. Number two, you save. Number three, you pay your taxes. Number four, you repay your debt. And five, you live on what's left over. You invert the order. You flip the list. And let me just make this even simpler for you. Let me just try to boil it down. Here is the essence of the system I would love for all of us at Mosaic to live with. Here it is. Three words. Boil all it down in this order. Give, save, live. All right, would you say that with me? Give, save, live. One more time. Give, save, live. When you get paid, that means you invest in God's thing first. Then you invest in your kingdom second. Then you live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Yeah, 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 there you go. This is how you throw open. Stay in your lane. I'm right here, you know, right here. This is how you throw open the door to your heavenly father's involvement in your financial life. And I've heard so many people swear by this, they're rich, poor, everyone in between. This is the key to financial freedom, success, and peace. This is not about giving more to the church, not a ploy to give to the church. This isn't leverage over you. Again, I ain't trying to flex on you, right? And if you don't believe me, I understand that. And if you think this is just a ploy for me to get something out of you, let me just say this then don't give here. I'm going to take me away, take this church away in terms of an excuse, but I, double dog, double sheep, double camel, double goat, dare you to make God your priority. If you do this, you will come back. I promise you will say this, Morgan. I don't understand it. I can't explain it, but something happened in my heart. Something happened in my family. It doesn't make sense on paper. Why? Because we serve a supernatural God who doesn't make sense on paper, right? Something happened, though, Morgan, in my finances. And I'll tell you, it's just because you reprioritized. You reflipped your list, you know, your financial system. Give, save, live on the rest. Now, here's the first step. First step towards making this happen. I'll give this to you. One thing. As you think about this, you have to think in terms, here's the word, of percentages. 
for each category percentages. Because throughout the scriptures, throughout the Bible, God is always talking about not dollars, but he talks about percentages. God is not impressed with dollars, right? God is not impressed with the billionaire who gives away like 10,000, 50,000, 100,000. God's not impressed by dollars. He's impressed by percentage. And you can know this because of the story that some of you may know. And the story is from the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is in the temple with his disciples. And they are standing off to the side, watching how people give. And there was this big metal bucket, this container in the temple, where people would drop their offering in. People would go by and drop their copper coins, then their little bit larger silver coins. And every once in a while, you could hear a big, fat gold coin drop into the bucket. And of course, the heavier the coin the louder the noise. The heavier the coin, the more impressive the sound. And the heavier the coin, many times the more self-impressed the giver would be. But then, then there was a widow shuffling all, all along by herself. She's got her head down, not making eye contact with anyone. And then she drops in her money. And you have to listen really, really hard to hear anything go into that bucket. And yet, and yet she does it. And this faintest of noises... This smallest of offering and giving, this grabs the attention of the Son of God through a crowd. Why? Because it's not about dollars and show. It's all about percentage and heart. And when he sees what the widow did, he says this, Mark 12. He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. And disciples said to him, you can read it, Jesus, oh, we didn't hear anything going. Are you sure she gave more? Because like, it's all about dollars, right? It's all about how much. Oh, but Jesus, how did she give more? Jesus says, they gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in, look at this percentage word, all she had to live on. And of course, Jesus Christ himself lived this out to the uttermost by giving all he had to live on, on the cross. He gave all his breath, all his life, all he had to live on, all that kept him alive. Why? Was it to shame someone into giving now? No. Was it so that some pastor, preacher, teacher guy can guilt you into giving? No. It was to show you just what generosity toward God and others looks like. And to show you, in the end, Jesus did that so that you would know that he knows what it's like to give both out of the wealth of his divinity and out of the poverty of his humanity. He never asks anyone to do what he hasn't done first. So... Here's what I would like for you to do with all of this. I want you to apply this. Here we go. I'd like for you to go home today, maybe over lunch next, and have a conversation either with yourself, because those are always the best kind, right? Or with your spouse. And you never know how those are going to go, but this one's going to go great. All right. And this conversation is going to impact more than just you. This conversation could impact the generations after you. I'd like for you to go home and get out, you know, whatever you use or system you use to to do your finances and figure out what it would look like to do this, to invert the order, to flip your list if you haven't, to give first, to save second, and to live on the rest. What you may find is that you may not be able to live the lifestyle you're currently living. And I want to tell you, that's okay for some of you because the lifestyle some of you are living is killing you right now anyway. This will actually help you. If you will begin to work toward give, save, live on the rest, put God's kingdom first, others first, your future kingdom second, 
watch what happens in your life and your heart. This will impact every single area of your financial life. And let me just give you one example of how this could help you and help all of us. As of a few years ago, maybe you've heard this, the average American household spent in a calendar year $1,500 in credit card interest. Credit card interest. Now, if we just quit, this church, Mosaic Church, just quit holding credit card debt. If just our church did this, eliminated this debt, it would come out to, are you ready for it? It would come out to almost $1.5 million for something else. I'm not saying if all the other Christians in the state of Austin did that, or the nation of Texas did this. Now you get the joke. Not if all the other churches did this. Just us, $1.5 million will be freed up for something else, kingdom work, saving, who knows, if we would just be responsible with credit cards based on a new list. Now, I'm not angry, ain't mad at the credit card companies. I'm glad those institutions exist. They help us do stuff more quickly. I just don't want you paying more for stuff that you already bought. And you don't want that either. So what if we led the way? And this, what if we made up our minds that we are not going to be slaves to a bad list anymore? That your family is not going to be in debt to every marketing win that came their way? What if you said a legacy, especially of consumer debt, is not something I'm passing on to my kids or my grandkids? I'm flipping my list. I'm inverting my order, putting God and others first, opening the door. My heavenly father, imagine what could happen, at least in our community. And so this is my question to you today. Would you be willing to go home and wrestle, wrestle with this and work your way through this? I know for many of you, this is not going to be easy, but I believe you can get there. And if you do, you will be seeking first the kingdom of God, perhaps in the most difficult area to seek God in first. And if we seek God first, God has promised to open that door, add things to us. And, And this is what it looks like when your stuff and your money, when your riches, be they so ever humble or great, meet the grace of God. And Jesus of Nazareth, our risen King and Lord, risen from the dead, promises that two, three, four, and five will be added to us. Be given to us. You'll have a better life, more margin, and I think a better story to live. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.